Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller Crypto. Today, we're talking the Federal Reserve considering developing its own national digital currency. And then we have Telegram's Ton blockchain getting released later this month. And then finally, in the main topic, we are talking how to build your very own Ethereum dApp. That's right. We have Jordan Lass from PodCrypt to come on the show and talk all about it. So put it on cruise control because <laughs> Thriller Crypto is starting now. Gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, it's October 4, 2019. And sorry for the late Thriller Crypto episode, but I, I just went to go watch a Joker right now. And I promise, I promise, no spoilers. I'm not going to spoil anything. It's going to be a spoiler free episode today. No spoilers, I promise. I won't say what happens at the end. <laughs> Anyways, let's get into the news. First up, we have the US lawmakers asking the Federal Reserve to consider developing national digital currency. That's right. Two U.S. lawmakers want the Federal Reserve to consider creating a digital dollar. Representative French Hill and Representative Bill Foster outlined concerns they have about risks to the U.S. dollar if another country or private company, <laughs> Facebook, creates a widely used cryptocurrency and ask whether the central bank is looking into creating its own version. Come on, Jerome Powell. Are you going to create your own version? Everybody wants to know. Well, the congressman wrote to the Federal Reserve and he said, we are concerned that the primacy of the U.S. dollar could be in a long-term jeopardy from wide adoption of digital fiat currencies internationally. The Bank of International Settlements conducted a study that found that over 40 countries around the world have currently developed or are looking into developing a digital currency. Please do something. Your best, Bill Foster and French Hill. <laughs> no, they didn't write exactly that, but they did say that they're concerned about the Facebook Libra proposal if it's implemented and it could remove important aspects of financial governance outside of U.S. jurisdiction. Yeah, it's pretty serious. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if Jerome Powell decides to create a digital dollar. We do know they have. That's right. They have Fed now that they're creating, hopefully here in the next two to three years. That's uh, for helicopter money, apparently. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's not for helicopter money, but maybe it will be. I have a feeling it will. Okay, next up we have Telegram's Ton blockchain. It's on track for a late October launch date. Yeah, it's about time. It's been three years. <laughs> Mina Gorshevsky, CTO of Ton Labs, is startup building tools for Ton developers. Confirmed the authenticity of the email to, that's right, Coindesk, adding that Ton Labs itself will run and manage its own validation pool. Whoa. Notably, the message also mentions governance matters saying telegram itself will recuse itself from running the network and reporting from coindesk the code for ton was released in early september allowing the broad community to try out full nodes validator nodes and block explorer yeah i think um i think we'll probably end up doing an inside protocol on it at some point but the launch date is hopefully here october 31st if you remember, they raised $1.7 billion <laughs> in 2018 because it takes a billion dollars to create a blockchain, ladies and gentlemen, especially at this scale. 
This telegram is big. <laughs> uh, the only official confirmation so far has been the registration with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. That's surprising. Of the project SAFT. That's right. Simple agreement for future tokens featuring the names of Telegram Group. Inc. And Pavel Durov. That's right. He's the chief architect. Okay. Next up, we have IKEA has had the first world transaction using smart contracts and licensed e-money. That's right. IKEA Iceland has taken part in a commercial transaction on Ethereum using smart contracts and licensed e-money to facilitate the settlement of an order from a local retailer Nordic store. Pretty cool. Monarium and TradeShift suggested the world's first transaction shows that the government-regulated programmable e-money is ready for mainstream markets. Silvis, co-founder of TradeShift, said, With a smart invoice, we can issue tokens that represent the future cash flow down to each dollar on the invoice. Whoever holds tokens will get paid upon due date, which makes smart invoices ideal to use for financial services apps. That's right. Trade shift is backed by Goldman Sachs, and they had a 250 million Series E funding round last May. Wow. IKEA Iceland. That sounds interesting. And our last piece of news. Venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz is opening a school specializing in startups aiming to develop cryptocurrency related projects. It's going to be called the X-Men. <laughs> it's going to allow gifted mutants, crypto mutants all over the world to come up and learn. No, I'm just kidding. No, Andreessen Horowitz unveiled its crypto startup school in on an announcement on October 3rd, saying that it intends to encourage more tech entrepreneurs to start crypto projects and help crypto curious builders navigate the idea maze. And he is referring to a so termed idea maze the company addressed the importance of good ideas for startups industry which will eventually well develop the multi-year plans that contemplate many possible paths across the entire world and in recent months an array of industry players have rolled out education related initiatives so we'll see what happens maybe we'll get andreessen horowitz x or crypto x men maybe or women and men who knows? With that, let's get into, that's right, interesting video of the day. Let's do it. Thriller Podcast. Interesting crypto video of the day. Today's interesting video is about decentralization. That's right. We talk a lot about that in the main topic. Fair warning. We talk a lot about it. And the world is very centralized, let me tell you. Everywhere you look, centralized computers, centralized people, centralized things, centralized networks, centralization everywhere. It's taken over. It's already become something we can't destroy. But everybody's bullish on a decentralized web that it's coming. Check this out. Google and Facebook topping the global digital advertising market last year. Oh, we're seeing this incredibly large company getting involved in almost every area of commerce. The big tech media companies, they're actively silencing concerns. What I'm saying is we got to break these guys apart. You want to run a platform? That's fine. You don't get to run a whole bunch of the businesses as well. 
Google handles 88% of search traffic in America, Facebook has more than 2.4 billion active monthly users, and it's projected that half of U.S. online retail will go through Amazon by 2020. There are calls from both sides of the aisle to break up the tech giants, to strip them of liability protections for what others say on their platforms, and to impose new regulations that would stop them from misusing the personal information of their customers. But there's also a growing movement among some of the web's pioneering thinkers and software developers to come up with technological solutions to countering the growing power of Facebook, Amazon, Twitter, and Google. The goal is to build a new decentralized web. There are so many different possible ways of decentralizing the internet. And what's lacking is the legal right to interoperate mm. and the legal support to stop dirty tricks from preventing you from exercising that legal right. Cory Doctorow is a science fiction author and tech journalist at Boing Boing, who's been thinking and writing about the web since it was introduced by Tim Berners-Lee in the early 1990s. Berners-Lee and other web pioneers, Doctorow points out, intended for their creation to be decentralized and open source. The cyber-utopian view was not merely that seizing the means of information would make you free, but that failing to do so would put you in perpetual chains. Well, there are a lot of reasons to want a more decentralized, diffused, pluralistic internet. It's hard to imagine that anyone is competent to make great decisions for two and a half billion people. Is there any reason to seriously doubt that this will just take care of itself, that more people will do what you have done and log off Facebook. The collective action problem of everyone deciding that it's time to leave Facebook is a really hard one. And as we see, it's not getting easier because even when you do leave Facebook, by and large, you end up on a service that's owned by Facebook. There are many theories about why the web became centralized. Dr. O largely blames the abuse of intellectual property law to defeat the decentralized free software movement, which was championed by the activist and programmer Richard Stallman who helped create the popular open source operating system Linux. But today, hackers are divided between the old values and the new. Imagine if you bought a house and the basement was locked and only the original building contractor had the key. If you needed to make any change, repair anything, you had to go to him. And if he was too busy doing something else, he'd tell you to get lost and you'd be stuck. When Richard Stallman walked into a lab at MIT and found that someone had put a lock on the drawer where they kept the paper tapes for the computer, and he was like, well, what do you mean? I can't take that paper tape out and change the holes punched in it. I'm a computer scientist. I'm gonna recreate all of the holes in that paper tape and make a clone of Unix. Passed in 1998, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act became an impediment to the open and permissionless approach to software development. The law was intended to prevent duplication of Hollywood movies, but it was eventually applied to all software. Breaking digital locks to learn from and improve upon the code of dominant web platforms became a federal crime. Today's tech companies use IP to shield their proprietary code from would-be competitors. And so this thicket of exclusive rights around products that can be invoked to prevent new entrants from making add-ons, compatible products, or even competing products has made it very hard for new entrants to emerge and I think is in large part responsible for the concentration in the industry. And all of that thicket exists today because people who made their money as insurgents spent that money to keep their newfound power. 
Despite the legal and political challenges Doctoro outlines, there are innovators attempting to create new decentralized ecosystems of web services. This former Christian Science Church in San Francisco houses the Internet Archive, a digital repository of more than 50 petabytes of images, movies, and texts. The organization has also archived more than 330 billion web pages. The Archive's mission is to make all of mankind's knowledge available online forever to everyone for free, which is a pretty big vision, right? Mitra Ardan, who's the Internet Archive's head of decentralization, says the history of the web is too important to be held in custody by a single organization. He's overseeing a plan to migrate the Internet Archive's more than 50 million gigabytes of data to a distributed network in which the information is spread out among a storage network maintained by users. The decentralized web now is in the state that the early web was back in the early 90s, right? So there's a lot of things that work on a small scale don't work on a large scale. We're a large scale site, but we're also a site that if we put up decentralized web and it breaks, we don't have our whole business model contingent upon it. A beta version of this peer-to-peer -peer network is already operating and publicly accessible. I think what it would look like is a world where servers were everywhere, that your internet router at home would also be a server, and those servers would talk to each other, and the interface may look very similar to what it is now, except you wouldn't be controlled by the branding. So the user interface and the data would be separate. Now the user interface and the data are inextricably tied together. But Cory Doctorow doesn't think the decentralized web can take off without government intervention. He agrees with Elizabeth Warren that the Federal Trade Commission should break up the tech giants. If you had your way, Facebook would have to sell off Instagram. Amazon would have to sell off Whole Foods. All those little businesses that they're running, competing businesses, yep. I, I, who, who is the federal government to tell these companies they have to do that? Uh, there's antitrust law that's been around for more than 100 years. If you have a bunch of tech companies that got giant by doing exactly the same things that all the other companies through history that got giant doing, that we used to ban, and that we stopped banning right when the tech industry started, maybe we could just try enforcing those rules again. Why would the focus be on antitrust and not on, you know, reforming intellectual property laws. So I think you've got a logical or where you want a logical land. We do need structural separation. We do need to, to break Facebook up so that it can no longer engage in this anti-competitive behavior. But that's just part of a set of reasons to do both. I guess the part that I'm a little bit confused about is the sense in which these companies are monopolies. Sure. Because yes, Google dominates search, Amazon dominates online shopping, but of course there are competitors. They're buying up potential competitors all the time and adding new technologies to their portfolio. But in what sense does that make them a monopoly? It may not make them a monopoly, but it makes them monopolistic, Okay. right? In the history of antitrust, a monopoly is not the only game in town. A monopoly exerts so much gravity that it distorts the market. Are there any promising technological solutions to this decentralizing the web? I think we have all the tech. I mean, well, it'll need constant evolution and maintenance, but mm -hmm. like it's all out there. Web 3.0 has this wonderful set of trust baked into the internet itself. Mm -hmm.
Molly McKinley is a former Google programmer and current project lead of IPFS, the Interplanetary File System, a communications protocol that's meant to replace the system by which most of us access the web now through hypertext transfer protocol that is the HTTP you see in your web browser. While HTTP connects your computer to a particular server, IPFS scours the network for a piece of content and connects you to whomever happens to be hosting it. The video you want to watch, the document you want to load, the website you want to go to, by what it is you're trying to view, not who you're trying to get it from. Mm -hmm. And that, that change, that kind of simple-seeming switch um, in how you uh, organize things, makes huge ripple effects and differences in what sort of tools you're empowered to build. Think of natural disasters or censorship or other cases like that where people lose access to content on the internet today. You want them to continue being able to collaborate and organize with each other and communicate and rely on these sorts of technologies and tools. Why would people host content? Right now, obviously, the answer is you make money by having the computer that hosts the content and serves it to people. Many people will join that cause because they believe in that cause and help make sure that Wikipedia or other data sets like that that we really care about continue to be backed up purely altruistically. But you can also end up in models tit for tat, for lack of a better word, where like, okay, you host my photo content and I'll host yours. And this way, both of us have backup. So if either one of our machines goes down, there's a backup of content mm -hmm. and we can you know, do that with a whole group of friends and you are providing me a really useful service and I'm participating in that network. And then finally, you can end up in models of like storage for hire. And so Filecoin, which is, in development is an incentivized storage network. By serving data, by uh, storing people's data, you can earn a cryptographic token. McKinley sees the decentralized web as a way to sidestep the dangers of government regulation and even authoritarian control. A decentralized framework where there isn't that middleman that can be manipulated or coerced or regulated into exposing your data. Mm -hmm. um, that's a better, safer, more resilient world, which doesn't end up in this case where it's susceptible to authoritarian manipulation control. We didn't take a broad enough view of our responsibility, and that was a big mistake. And it was my mistake, and I'm sorry. These two almost contradictory narratives that I see. And one is that the web is too centralized. There are these big companies controlling everything. And then, especially out of Congress, you hear that it's too anarchic, too yeah. decentralized. Yeah. Trolls, hateful people, mm -hmm. disinformation, and we need to be able to control it. And there's a certain convenience to being able to call Mark Zuckerberg in front of Congress. And Absolutely. Say, so we get a choice now whether we're going to fix big tech or fix the internet, but we don't get to do both. Um, if we decide that we're going to give big tech state-like duties to prevent bad action, on their platforms, we require them to be big enough to do so. I think most people don't realize how um, terrible regular users are when it comes to their own privacy or their own care for their own passwords, emails, stuff like that. Like regular people do not know how to, you know, take care of themselves. Uh, they just don't, especially when it comes to tech. And it's literally up to everybody else out there to keep them protected. And that's why decentralization is key. Um, I mean, look at your own parents or your own grandparents and how tough it is just to get them to, you know, log into, you know, the app store or something. They just don't understand it. So 
decentralized identity, decentralized servers, decentralized everything is key and it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. It's going to take time, that's for sure. Okay, with that, let's get into Coin Talk. Let's do it. It is time. talking coin talk but before we dive into that i want to try something here that we've never done before i want to talk about this movie the joker but i don't want to spoil it <laughs> at all for anybody like i don't want to do that and I, i'm really not going to give away anything i promise i just want to tell you kind of my experience watching it um i won't give anything away i promise but we're going to start that now right now and it's, it's very much related to crypto and Bitcoin. It, there is an angle for that. I promise I'm not just trying to, sh you know, shill that in. <laughs> like everybody else says, oh, everybody trying to fit things into Bitcoin or crypto. It's, no, I, I promise. Like, yeah, I see what's going. Anyways, just let me. It's going to start now. So spoilers for Joker starting now. But I promise I won't spoil anything. But if you don't want to listen to anything about it, then just fast forward till we get to the disclaimer. Or better yet, go watch a Joker and then come back and listen to this. <laughs> okay, okay, starting now. So I was watching it and one of the things I kept thinking about was the state of the world. Just the way the world is right now, so much turbulence, so much like macroeconomic, just problems that we're having all over the world. You know, there's this kind of 1% versus everybody else kind of thing going on, or at least that's what they tell us. Who knows, right? And the entire time I was watching this movie, I just kept thinking like, Bitcoin and crypto, it solves all this. Like it truly does. I mean, it's, it's one thing to think that maybe it doesn't solve it, but no, it really solves a lot of this. And it's just gonna take for, it's gonna take somebody to explain this, you know, on an international level. Uh, and get people to to see it for for what it could truly become and the entire time I was watching it I, I felt like I knew somebody like this character um, like I, I felt like I've met somebody like that before but maybe not to that degree right but maybe somebody that you knew in class in school or, or maybe somebody that you were friends with at, at a job and you thought like gosh this guy had a lot of problems but there was somebody like that maybe that you probably knew or at least I felt like I knew somebody like that growing up and the entire time I was watching it, I was just—I just kept thinking, like, in 2008, you know, we had this massive crash and we had a recession, and, and the Dark Knight came out at the time. And the Dark Knight came out, and you know, Christopher Nolan just became a mega filmmaker. And you know, you had, uh, you know, Heath Ledger he came out with the Joker, and he did such a great job. And right now, we're pretty much on the the cliff's edge of the next recession. And what do we have here? Another Joker movie with, with a really big star playing the Joker. And it's tackling all the same kind of subject matter as we did back in 2008. I think this movie is the movie that's gonna launch this next recession. I, I don't, I'm not like others that see this movie like sparking anything, but I think this movie is needed for this time. And uh, I think Bitcoin and crypto 
could save a lot of, of the problems that we have in the world. And that's just what I kept thinking about while watching the movie. See, I didn't spoil anything. <laughs> I, told, I told you I wasn't going to spoil anything. Um, but yeah, you should definitely check it out. It's it's worth watching. It's, um, it's a really interesting movie. I definitely wouldn't watch it again. <laughs> I, think, I think my wife wanted to watch it again. I was like, I can't do it twice. Cannot do it. I'm a, I'm a softie at heart. Okay, with that, let's get into our disclaimer. We got to roll our disclaimer. We have to. We have to. We have to. Roll the disclaimer. Remember, Thriller's podcast does not give financial advice. He cannot tell the future, even if he thinks he can. He is just some dude trying to save the world one Satoshi at a time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Coin Talk, my favorite part of the day. Your favorite part of the day, I'm sure. The only thing you're thinking about all day is like, man, I can't wait to get listening to Thriller Crypto and, and hear Carr talk about coin market cap and uh, everything <laughs> related to cryptocurrencies by market capitalization. <laughs> I'm sure you're thinking about that all day. It's, it's what I think about, too. It's the only thing I think about. Um, but before we do all that, we need a, we need a lock and load. We need to put on our gear because we got a red alert out there. Let's do it. Yeah, so it's bloody red today. Yeah, it's really bloody red. I mean, we got Bitcoin at $8,168, market cap of $217 billion. That's right, we're still down like $60 billion. Uh, we got Bitcoin dominance falling too at 67.5%. Ethereum has just been kind of doing this thing where it's just like, move, move somewhere. It's currently at $174. Uh, XRP is $0.24. Cents. Uh, even Tether has gone up. You would have made some money on Tether if you would have just stayed with that. <laughs> Bitcoin Cash at $222. Um, the only one that was doing really good today was uh, Chainlink, surprisingly. It, was, it got up to like $2 today. And I was like, holy crap, we're going to $4 again. Thank you. One more time. Jorge, you're too quick. Bro, what are you doing? You're too quick on that dial, brother. Slow it down. Ease off the trigger. Ease off, Jorge. I said we didn't get to $4. Come on, man. What, how much do I pay you? I don't pay you. That's why. Sorry, guys. It's uh, Jorge. He's messing up again. He's our intern. Um, yeah, so I think I'm just going to invest in Bitcoin. And investing it in Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Jorge, you, you were late on that, bro. What are you doing, man? Are you messing up the show on purpose? <laughs> what are you doing, Jorge? Come on, man. Don't make me get Javier back in here. Javier was better. Be like Javier. Think like Javier. Come on, man. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. It's just these these interns, I tell you. They just, they just can't. They just can't keep it in place. Okay. Now, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. I was talking about Bitcoin. <laughs> So with Bitcoin, I, th I think we're going to see two scenarios here. I'm serious. Two scenarios. Scenario one, I really think that Bitcoin is going to go down at this point. 
I wasn't sure last week. I mean, everybody's talking about it, but I don't go with the crowd. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm original. It's like I swag. I want to make it look good. <laughs> I'm the original thriller. What can I say? What can I say, ladies and gentlemen? What can I say? But I will say though, because I can't say. I will say. I think at this point we we are going down. That's right. I think we are going down. I think if we do climb up, it's only going to be to that. 200 day moving average, whatever that is. I think it's like 9,000 or 92 or 9,300, whatever it is. I would have to go look. I don't want to look right now. It's kind of late, to be honest with you. I think that's what's going to happen. I think we're going to go up there and then we're going to crash back down severely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so at this point. And I wasn't so sure before, but I think I've realized that with everything that's going on in the world and the way the entire like... Uh, Gosh, I don't like getting political because <laughs> I don't do that. But I would say, though, that everything that's happening right now, it just feels like we're going to see a crash. And I'm talking about a crash everywhere, not just in Bitcoin and crypto, everywhere. And I, I think I think if you listen to our Thriller Crypto subscription, we've actually talked about Bitcoin in the next recession, where I even outlined possible scenarios about it. Um, go, go out there and, and check out that episode. But I will say, though, that um, I think we're going to see... Bitcoin fall further. I do. I think we're going to get back down to that 6,000 range. Hopefully not any lower than that, but I definitely think 6,000 is coming. And I'm, you know, I'm seriously contemplating putting more Bitcoin on exchange right now and selling and then, um, you know, buying back in at the bottom. Um, I haven't done that in the past. I've always been too scared, as one would say, too scared to wander and lose it all. But I, I think at this point, I haven't done it yet, and I'm thinking about it, but I, I feel like at this point, it's, it's, I'm like 65% sure that we're going to get down to 6,000 again, maybe even lower. Um, I hope not. I hope I'm wrong. But it, it feels like that's the play that's going to happen. Scenario two, I think the other scenario is that instead of us, you know, going up to the 200 day moving average and bouncing back down, we break through that and climb back up to 16K October. <laughs> yeah, I think those are the two likely scenarios at this point. Uh, I was bullish at, at 16K earlier this year for October. Gosh, that'd be lovely. And you totally redeem yourself, Javier. I love this. Gosh. Nice. I love how you're doing this. Oh. Oh. Don't do that to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Let's crank that. Crank that, yeah. That's good. Anyways, can we get to 16K? It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be so beautiful. I don't think that's going to happen, though. I definitely, I definitely don't think that's going to happen at this point. I mean, we can only dream. We can always dream. Bitcoin needs to be fixed. When you try your best, but you don't succeed. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing, Javier? What are you, we don't play this song. What are, you do, what are you doing to the show, bro? Like, what are you doing? No, no Coldplay. No. We, gosh, now we're gonna get pulled. We're gonna get yanked because of that. Was it worth it? Was it worth? Was it worth it? Gosh, Javier, you're doing so well. 
you had redeemed yourself, but now you ended it like that. You know what? Let's just get on to the main topic. Okay, today, today in the main to- today in the main topic, we are talking how to build your own Ethereum DAP. That's right. We have Jordan Last of Podcrypt. He was so nice to talk to us and explain how you build a DAP. Apparently, it's not as hard as it looks. All right, let's do it. Main topic starting now. Another sound.
It's time for our main topic. Tonight, we are with Jordan Lass. We are talking how to build your very own DAP. Hey, Jordan, welcome on the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So today, we're going to talk about how to create your own DAP. And we know that you're an Ethereum developer, and you've created your own podcrypt.app. And we'll talk about that. But before we get into how to, how to create an app and everything, let's, let's get a little bit of your background. Jordan, tell us where you're from, what, what got you into crypto and Ethereum. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, had a really good childhood. My dad worked in kind of electrical engineering slash software, so I always kind of liked tinkering around with technology. And grew up in the um, grew up in the '90s. So when the internet came out, I was super exciting, and I just loved to tinker around. Went to college in Utah to, at Brigham Young University and studied computer science. So kind of got into just distributed systems and just, you know, general application development and how to make really good software. And I've always also loved entrepreneurship and business. And so I started a company, an education technology company with um, some friends while I was in college. I was in charge of, essentially I was the CTO, just in charge of, you know, all of our web application development and getting our databases up and all the infrastructure and Kind of right near the end of of uh, college there, I 2017 about mid 2017, I believe I was in a distributed systems class, so it was definitely on my mind. And somehow I came across Ethereum, and I had heard of Bitcoin, and I just started listening to a ton of podcasts and just kind of going down the rabbit hole of all this new blockchain, distributed systems, IPFS, distributed file storage, just everything, and I just got hooked like that that's what the future of even besides cryptocurrency like the future of it infrastructure i think in many ways is going to be tied to um the blockchain and these decentralized systems that we're creating yeah absolutely yeah i see it every day that's what i do for my day job and is in it and um gosh if people knew the horror stories of (laughs) how centralized everything is they'd be scared yeah it's scary and these are big these are big companies um, I should probably stop talking about that. Uh, I'll probably cut that out. Oh, so so you got into you got into crypto, you got into Ethereum. What was it about Ethereum that that hooked you as opposed to like another? I guess uh, what am I thinking? I'm trying to think. Or b- besides another blockchain. Well, I guess uh, I mean back in 2017, I don't think there were that many blockchains in existence. Um, well, I mean, you know, Bitcoin definitely was in existence, and I was. I'm definitely still interested and was interested in Bitcoin, but Bitcoin essentially has one use case, uh, just transferring value. Um, and it, it does that in a very secure and very decentralized way. But Ethereum put the general purpose computation on top. And so that was just mind blowing to me that that you could, you know, you could do computation in this distributed way and I don't know, something, just something about it just like seemed, just kind of filled me with awe and wonder. So, and it seemed like the, the main project back at the time with uh, the most information about it. So, I've, yeah, that's just how I entered the space and kept up with it since. 
from kind of that angle. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I always thought Ethereum had like a very just a different approach to how they, um, you know, how they how they kind of rolled everything out. And then it has such a different logo, and it's uh, it's very attractive, <laughs> you know, as compared to other uh, cryptocurrencies. It has a has a different kind of aura about it. Uh, I always found, you know. Um, yeah, it, it's very. Maybe what drew me in was like it's it's practical. It's like you can come and build applications on top. I mean, obviously it doesn't scale currently and it has some issues, but, you know, it's being used um, pretty successfully, uh, at least in the you know small crypto space that we've created for ourselves. So, Right. So let's talk about how to create your own dApp. Say we have somebody out there who's just graduated uh, college or somebody out there who's just, uh, you know, still in high school and they're getting into dApp creation where does one person start? Like, where does one person even begin to start to, to look into creating an Ethereum dApp? Yeah, so kind of how I, I approach things, I try to be as practical as possible. I try to do things in a way that's kind of a, efficient and simple and kind of manages complexity. And I feel like, you know, if you have limited time, limited resources, and you just want to get going as fast as possible... I recommend everybody learn JavaScript. Learn JavaScript, learn HTML, and learn CSS. If you can master each of those technologies, they kind of create this beautiful like Triforce or Triumvirate that lets you build applications for any platform, essentially. And so, in my opinion, the quickest way into the Ethereum ecosystem or probably into to blockchains in general, is understand the web technologies. And then there's a couple, for Ethereum in particular, there's a couple libraries that are very popular. One's called Web3.js, the other's called Ethers.js. And, you know, once you understand, once you, you know, once you're a little bit familiar with JavaScript, you just pull these libraries in and they let you create wallets so you can create uh, an, an ethereum address an ethereum private key you can store that in the user's uh, browser persistently and from there you can sign and send transactions and query the blockchain and create smart contracts and kind of do a lot of things so that's how i recommend if you want to get started learn the web technologies, and then just grab one of these libraries that's kind of an off-the-shelf solution. And you should be able to get going pretty fast. Yeah, that sounds like the, the best the best approach for sure. It's that way you get something out there and then see what people think about it and then give you some feedback. You recently created podcrypt.app. Uh, it's a, a, a podcasting um, applic- or dApp or decentralized app that is on the Ethereum network. Um, how how did you come up with the idea for that? And, and like, tell us a little bit about what you're trying to do with it. Yeah, sure. So PodCrypt is essentially it's just a podcast app. It's similar to any other app out there that you might listen to podcasts with. It has uh, uses the iTunes search API or, or Apple Podcast search API. And so uh, every podcast is uh, essentially just available instantly. And you listen to podcasts and PodCrypt, what it does is it keeps track of how much time you're spending on each podcast. And it creates a local wallet for you, an Ethereum wallet, and it lets you set up 
a donation amount and it lets you set up an interval so you can have a recurring donation. And then every time your interval comes up, PodCrip will split up your donation amount between all of the podcasts based on how much time you've listened to the podcasts. That's so smart. <laughs> yeah, so it, um, that, that's, that, in a nutshell, that's how it works. And the origin of the idea, I believe, it pretty much, it's very inspired by the Brave Browser Project. The Brave Browser, you said? Yes. Oh, okay, how, how yep. so? Uh, Brave essentially has the same model. Uh, it's called Brave Rewards. And Brave keeps track of how much attention you spend or how much attention you give to each website that you're browsing. And you can send that to your Brave wallet or, or receive it somehow. And Brave will take care of splitting up a certain amount of your BAT. Uh, BAT is the, uh, the Brave token, the basic attention token. And it will split that up every month between all the websites that you visit based on how much time you spend on those websites. Oh, nice. So, so that's, a, that's where the idea came from for PodCrypt, I see. I believe, I believe so. Like, yep. So, when, uh, so as far as like the wallet and, and that's built into PodCrypt, um, is, is it using MetaMask or what exactly is it using? Yeah, so kind of what I recommend and I think is a, a better user experience than MetaMask is creating a wallet locally for your application in particular. So PodCrypt will create a private key and an address, and it will store those locally in the PodCrypt application. So you don't you don't need MetaMask. You don't you know you don't need to approve every transaction. You just send money to your PodCrypt wallet, and from there, PodCrypt takes over and it can sign and send whatever it wants uh, at your request, essentially. And is that all stored on the blockchain? Like, say, if I wanted to see my, my PodCrypt wallet on the Ethereum, uh, EtherScan or something, can I go and check that out? Or? Uh-huh, yep. It's just a normal uh, it's a, just normal Ethereum account. Oh, nice. So if somebody's out there and, they're, and they're, they're, they hear your idea and they see how you took in kind of ideas from, uh, from all these different places, um, how would they go about um, implementing like different APIs and the Ethereum blockchain? I think for a, a lot of people out there, one of the things they, that they think about when they, they're trying to create their own DApp, they're like, oh, I know how to make a website. I know how to do this. I know how to you know, build out a, a pretty good UI. But when it comes to actually integrating the Ethereum blockchain um, into it, that's where they have the like moment where they're like, uh, <laughs> just glitching. What, what is yeah. the trick to that? And how did you how did you figure that out? So I think the one of one of the tricks you can play in your mind is that the Ethereum blockchain is is not necessarily different than any other API that you've dealt with. Uh, so Ethereum is is a backend API essentially, and it's just it's an API that you don't have to manage or deploy yourself. Um, it, it's a bunch of servers running a open decentralized protocol. So it's very similar to you know. HTTP or TCP/IP, like we, if you're a web application developer, you don't think about the IP protocol very much. The actual networking protocol that's going to route packets between all the endpoints until you get to the final destination. So Ethereum is very similar to that. It's a protocol, and you access the protocol through a high-level API. So we access 
the IP protocol and, and usually the TCP protocol through the HTTP protocol. And if you're a web developer, you know, you're probably pretty familiar with the HTTP protocol. Um, you know, the fetch API is now standard, I believe, in all the browsers. So it's a very high level, very declarative API that gives you access to a very complicated underlying system. And so Ethereum, I would just think about it in the same exact way. Ethereum is a super awesome protocol. I don't necessarily need to understand all the technical details of how Ethereum works, but I can access it through a higher level API. And basically how you do it is through, you, it's through HTTP. So if you already know how to use the Fetch API or any kind of Ajax library, you're gonna be using that probably to interact with the blockchain. And you can do it manually. So if you want to, you can go look at the Ethereum documentation. Um, I mean, just simple Google searches should be able to get you to that documentation pretty fast. And you can look at like the JSON RPC documentation and that will tell you all the, uh, you know, the raw HTTP requests that you can make to interact with the blockchain. Um, you can do that straight away if you want to, or if you want it to be a little more abstracted and a little more declarative and have it hold your hand a little bit more. I uh, mentioned the two libraries that are very popular, um, Web3.js and Ethers.js. And those are open source projects that you can use uh, right away and they're just on GitHub and, and you can just NPM install them into your project. So that's how I would think about it. Nice. So that's a that's a really clear cut answer for that. I, I always kind of wondered how that would work within kind of like a uh, like a web app of some sort. But yeah, it seems like it's fairly simple. But okay, so let me let me ask you this then: if uh, if this person out there, I don't know who they are. <laughs> Let's say they're like, okay, we, we got this DAP idea. We understand how you know we're gonna we're gonna implement Ethereum's blockchain in there through an API. And then they get to the part where they have to like, you know, uh, get people to test it and, and something breaks and stuff like that. Um, do you have any advice <laughs> other than release it and let's see what breaks or uh, what kind of advice would you give those people if they're about to release a dApp? Oh, well, I say you should release as early and as often as possible. Um, now, you want to be careful, though. So like Facebook, you know, their motto used to be move fast and break things and then that, that causes problems as you start to scale. And so now they say they want to move fast with stable infrastructure, right? So um, I still would say, like, you should, you should try to release as fast as you possibly can. But um, here's how I do it. So to kind of manage the risk of, you know, catastrophic things happening, uh, for example, in PodCrypt, I split it up into multiple phases. So... My first release, I released it like a week or two after I started programming it. I called it the pre-alpha. So I gave it that name, pre-alpha, which is supposed, you know, it should indicate to the user, this is extremely early software. So uh, I said pre-alpha, I put up a few warnings. So before they could even access the wallet functionality, I explicitly made them check boxes that said, I understand that this is pre-alpha software. I understand that anything can go wrong. I understand that I should only send, it wasn't even on the, the Ethereum main network yet, it was on the, the test network. So uh, only send test ETH to this address, not real ETH. Um, 
yeah, so I, I prepared them for for what this was. And, you know, I let that live for a couple weeks and I tried to get feedback and I tried to, to improve things and then I released the alpha version. And with the alpha version, I changed the warnings just a little bit, uh, but essentially the same. And I just, I worked on the alpha version actually for like three or four months. I just released the beta like three weeks ago. And now that it's in beta, I've worked through quite a few issues. I've used my app personally a lot, so dogfooding myself. And um, I removed some, you know, the warnings are really simple now. It's just like, this is beta software. It's MIT licensed. There's no warranty. Essentially, it's your responsibility, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's getting very polished now. And so, yeah, I think splitting it up into phases like that could definitely help. Um, being Talking to your community. So I created a Telegram group, like, before I even wrote any code. And I tried to, I just reached out to a ton of people and, got like a group of 100 people in there. So I can always ask them for feedback and um, they, they help me out testing out features. And so, yeah, like release early and often, you know, explain the risks up front, try to manage that nicely, split it up into phases, and then just be with your community as much as possible, be very close to them. And I think if you do that, then, you know, you can get something out there and start to iterate. Once it gets a little more mature, then it's definitely time for automated testing. So the next phase of PodCrypt is I'm going to add, besides ETH, I want to add the DAI stablecoin and probably the USDC stablecoin and uh, potentially Bitcoin if I can. If Libra comes out, I might do that. So the point is there's a bunch of, of cryptocurrencies that I might want to implement. But doing that, I definitely don't want to just like wing it and like, more and more people are using PodCrypt, and so before I could just push something out, and it's like, okay, me and this other person, it might break, but it doesn't really matter. But, you know, now there's like more of you know, a handful of people using it, and so I really need automated tests in place to help me move fast with stable infrastructure. So that's that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah, so that's a, that's a lot of great advice right there, Jordan. Uh, so you said to, to make sure that you do these invases, uh, ultimately, you don't want to, you know, break something, especially if somebody's using it day to day. And you said you have like a handful of users. So now you're you're kind of <laughs> I know I know what that feels like. After a while, you start doing a podcast, and you realize, uh oh, people are listening now. Now I got to keep yeah. going. <laughs> it's also it's a blessing and it's a curse at the same time. But I couldn't imagine, you know, uh, being a, a, a uh, adapt developer and feeling like that because I'd be like, uh oh, <laughs> I can't mess up this stuff because there's ether well, attached yeah, to it actual or something. Money. <laughs> yeah. How do you how do you deal with all that stress? <laughs> well, I mean, or do you are you kind of like eh? Well, I, I don't know. I, I try to be very careful, like like I just explained, and honestly, not that many people are using it. It's like it's still early, so um, I guess it hasn't gotten to that point yet. And by the time I get to that point, I'm gonna have my automated tests in place. I'm gonna I don't know I. I I try to be very thorough so I can rely on on those measures to kind of reduce the uh, the potential issues I guess yeah it's a very it's a very clean looking uh, app for sure like I I like how simplistic it looks it's very like click this click that it's it's not too hard it's very intuitive it's not too hard to figure out 
Um, and so I, I like it for that. I, I definitely am going to give it a try. I just need some. I know you had sent me an email maybe about a few weeks ago, and I had it was one of those emails that was sitting at the top of my thing. I had a flag on it. I was like, okay, I'm going to get to this eventually. And then at some point, I was like, uh, Car, you really need to, you know, at least respond to this guy, or you need to like figure out how to like use this. And I was like, yeah, eventually I'm going to get to it. And finally, I was just like, let me just see if he wants to come on the show, and I can just ask him any question I want. <laughs> And then I can go and actually give it a shot. So this is definitely on my list this weekend to to get uh, throw the crypto on there and see how it all works and see how it functions. And hopefully you you said so like so you're saying like we could like if I set it up here like on my desktop, I could take it to my mobile phone and use it that way. Right. With just a backup and restore option there. Yeah, sure. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's perfect. I think it'd just be a regular. Eventually, it'll be it'll be automatic, like backed up on IPFS or Ethereum Swarm, and it'll just sync for you. But for now, yeah, you have to just uh, you can manually just send your files back and forth. How excited are you about IPFS and 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 everything like that when it comes to Ethereum? Like, uh, what's what's your take on the entire space and where Ethereum's going? Uh, I mean, I love I love the idea of a more scalable blockchain, obviously. And ETH 2.0 seems like a very good step in the right direction. Um, so I'm I am pretty excited for the decisions that they've made. It's not going to be like it's not going to be a a supercomputer that can just like be a decentralized AWS essentially, um, you know, with ETH 2.0. But I I believe it's it's definitely it's going to be like an a thousand x improvement in um, efficiency or uh, yeah, just generally, it'll be better. It is going to be a lot better. So I'm excited about that. Now for distributed file systems, so, so that should help with gas, I'm hoping. Uh, ETH 2.0 should, should make the gas cost low. The throughput should be higher, so we won't clog up the blockchain. So that's awesome. Now for the distributed file uh, systems, um, I don't know. Filecoin is about to come out relatively soon, I believe. So Filecoin essentially puts a, a blockchain um, incentive mechanism on top of IPFS. So that will definitely be interesting to watch. Ethereum has its own project called Swarm that it's essentially IPFS and Filecoin, but it's uh, it's ETH and Swarm or Ethereum and Swarm. So, I mean, both of those are, in my opinion, very, very exciting projects that... Uh, I think we just have to wait until they come out to see how well they will actually work. But if so, like the vision of all these projects is amazing in my opinion. Like what we're trying to accomplish is awesome. Like if you could have a decentralized Amazon S3, you know, be able to just host your files and pay as close to what it costs to host as possible. And that's awesome. But in practice, you know, We'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I believe we'll get there, but I guess I'm not sure how soon. Yeah, it's going to take some time for sure. I mean, like looking at Saya and how they've kind of rolled out their whole, you know, decentralized storage solution. It it, it works. It's just really, really slow. Um, but it, it's it like we're still when I was talking to David Vorhick of, of Saya and he was telling me he's like, it's like most people think we're in the <laughs> he's like, most people think we're in the 90s of, of crypto and stuff. He's like, we're actually in the 80s. Like with a lot of these technologies, yeah. I, 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 at least that's what he was telling me, and um, that's what it seems like. 
Okay, so if somebody's out there and they, they have, they have, they're like, you know what, I'm going to follow Jordan's list. He said to go learn uh, JavaScript and, you know, go learn other web technologies. And then after that, I'm going to get my idea, roll it out, and then I'm going to get Ethereum blockchain via an API. And then I'm going to launch it in phases. Is there any last thing there that you would recommend to, to building a, a DAP? Well, I think the hardest part of this, of building a DAP, is getting people to use it. So as much as you think about building the application, you also need to think about your go-to-market strategy. Uh, if you just build it, it's likely no one will use it. Um, so yeah, I think you, you need to also think about, okay, how am I going to actually reach out to people or you know think about writing blog posts or going on podcasts or maybe starting your own podcast or... I guess it depends on the goals. Like, if you don't care if anyone uses it, then who cares? You should just build it. But, you know, if you want it to be successful in the fact that it's, you know, improving people's lives, which is hopefully what we're trying to do, then I think you need to think about your go-to-market strategy as well. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, I would definitely say reach out to everybody in the crypto space, uh, even the ones that tell you no, uh, just because it's such a small community. Like I, I like to say there's only like 10,000 to 15,000 active crypto <laughs> evangelists and, and Bitcoin evangelists out there. I really think it's that small. I, I know a lot of people start saying, like, no, it's in the hundreds of thousands. I don't think so. I think there's like 10 to 15,000 um, people actively looking at crypto and involved in the community. It might even be less than that. I don't know. Um, it just seems like it's not very big. So that's why I would say I would say definitely. Yeah, like you said market it, think about that while you're building it and um, make some friends and uh, be like Jordan and ask to come on a podcast or don't ask. And maybe the person will want you to come on. You, you never know. Um, everybody's pretty friendly in the space. I think I've only run into a couple people not so friendly, <laughs> but, <laughs> but everybody else is pretty friendly. Um, yeah. So uh, what do you see for the future of PodCrypt? Do you think it's going to, uh, you said a Bitcoin at some point for sure die, and then you're seeing some other cryptocurrencies that you're looking to add at some point? Any other interesting um, ideas you have for PodCrypt? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, definitely implementing multiple cryptocurrencies that are in demand and that could be practically used. Um, allowing, you know, using distributed file storage so that you can use PodCrypt on any device. I think what's another exciting thing about PodCrypt, I kind of want it to just be the best podcast app out there as well. So, the fact that it's a, a progressive web application, it's instantly accessible right now on every major platform. So it works on iOS, it works on Android, it works on, it should work on pretty much all the desktop browsers. I mean, there might be some little issues, but it's generally available on all those platforms. Um, yeah, once I get the, once the accounts can sync, you'll have one podcast app that you can, you know, just, you can just go to app on your laptop, you can listen around, oh, I gotta go, you can hop on your phone and just keep going. So being a progressive web app, like web native, I think is exciting. And there's a couple more things as well. So I'm trying to focus on privacy as well. So, I mean, so I was looking at, at PodCrypt and I was like, yeah, there's probably no cookies or anything that's that are being stored on PodCrypt because I don't 
I'm not setting any cookies except Google Analytics. Um, but I looked, and I do use a handful of third-party APIs just to get some, you know, the app, the iTunes API, and and to get some uh, like conversion rates between ETH and USD and stuff. And there were like a bunch of cookies that were set. So I was like, that that's weird. So like all the tracking that happens, the fact that when you're listening to podcasts, your IP address when you're downloading it or streaming it is 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 recordable by wherever you're you're getting it from. So people could be tracking it while you're listening. I don't know if people care about that too much, but it's just it's there. Also now we're integrating payments into podcasts. And so, you know, if someone really wanted to, they could probably link your IP address to your Ethereum account and and potentially track what you're listening to and who you're donating to and and like that uh, I don't know. That's I, in the recent in recent years. I, th- I believe privacy is very. It's become more important to me, and I believe it's a it's a fundamental human right. I'm in the United States, and the Constitution of the United States protects us from people just kind of snooping on us for no reason. And so, I believe we need to build that in. And so, using VPNs, Brave just came out with a cool distributed VPN paper. Um, potentially building Tor in, and Tor allows you to anonymously browse. I think it'd be cool if PodCrypt, it's like, it is, it's your business what you're listening to. It's your business who you're donating to. As long as it's, I mean, if it's illegal, then you need to, you know, the authorities will get involved. But, um, I mean, just generally, freedom of speech and freedom of, of hearing what others are saying is important. And so I want PodCrypt to be a tool that, will allow us to exercise those rights. And uh, the fact that it is web native as well allows it to be deployed eventually onto a distributed file system like IPFS or Swarm. And so uh, eventually it won't even be centrally hosted. And so, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, I never actually thought about like uh, um, privacy for podcasts, but it makes a lot of sense now that you kind of bring up all those different scenarios, especially if you're already donating to the podcast really is no re- reason for, you know, the, the podcast, uh, creator to even want, you know, any information. I mean, we get those RSS, you know, feeds and they have a lot of, uh, data, you know, pulling from them, but, um, I, I don't necessarily think that we need, uh, it on podcast. I think you're right. I think, uh, just donating should be enough, I think, at that point. Yeah, it's a good idea. Um, I was going to ask you, I saw something the other day on Ethereum, and it was, I forget who it was, but they were talking about creating an Ethereum OS. And it was this um, beautiful image of what looked like a, a desktop OS of Ethereum dApps. And it had like you know, the GUI on there and it had like a dock kind of like the Mac and it looked epic, dude. It looked really epic. Uh, somebody created it and then shared it and it got tweeted all over um, Twitter. I think I retweeted it. I'm not sure. But um, w- how crazy would it be if there ends up being like an Ethereum OS and then PodCrypt ends up being the podcasting app for the Ethereum OS? Like, have you, have you think about stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen that project, but it's probably like a Linux distribution that's uh, t- tailored towards Ethereum, I imagine. So, I mean, if someone wants to do that, that's cool. I, I don't find it very exciting, honestly, because an operating system is just a general purpose 
software. Um, so it, it's a it's a process that's managing all the other processes and giving you access to the hardware on your machine. So, uh, I mean, I think DApps should be distributed through the most powerful distribution mechanism that we've ever known, which is the web, honestly. So I feel like we already have the tools that we need and we don't need like DApps-specific browsers or DApps-specific operating systems because they really shouldn't be DApps per se. I think they're just apps. They're just applications and, and they happen to have properties of decentralization. So, but I don't know. I should look into that more. It might be cool. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you answered that way. This, I, we had a Charles Hoskinson on and I was talking to him about like, you know, why don't you ever make a like a Cardano <laughs> like OS or an Ethereum OS? And he was like, we don't need that. <laughs> he said the same thing. And I was like, well, why can't we just make a phone? He's like, we have phones. <laughs> they already do. They already do everything we need. Uh, it's interesting that you say the same thing, too, because I'm like. I don't know. I always think of stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, that would be cool. But I guess to people that are actually creating it, they're like, we don't need it. We have a we have a web browser, which makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just I guess, yeah, if, if you have to like actually develop the applications, you start realizing like, OK, if this is a whole different operating system, I now have to integrate my application into that. And so it's like it'd be better, in my opinion, if we just have one set of standards. So, yeah. Let's say let's say somebody creates like a decentralized operating system somehow on a new type of hardware. I don't even know if that's possible or, or what even what that would look like. So it would have to be something that would be from the ground up. It would be the approach. It would have to be an entirely different take on it, I would imagine. is what you're saying. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm working on a project. It's, this is slightly unrelated to PodCrypt, but it's called uh, Wasm Metal. It's essentially a web assembly CPU. So WebAssembly, right now it's just software instructions to architecture. But my idea is let's let's actually put WebAssembly, you know, create a microarchitecture for it, which is the actual physical components. And so now your your CPU is running WebAssembly directly, and then we can get rid of the virtual machine and just everything's WebAssembly. That would save a lot of uh, resources. Um, that's awesome. Um, I guess, I guess, I guess we created a DAP at this point. <laughs> we started off, we started off as how to create your own, uh, DAP. And I think we covered everything. So look into web technology is what you're saying for sure. Number one, number two, definitely. yeah. Number two, you said to, um, uh, was it build out, uh, build out in phases, right? Um, and yeah. And, and release, release as soon as possible and, and use those phases to help you do that in a way that's responsible. Great. And then you said after that, um, um, find a good marketing <laughs> strategy to to get it out there, because most people, you said, won't even use it like they won't even know it exists. And then you said, finally, um, what was oh privacy? You're saying about privacy and how maybe since it is a decentralized app to think about how we can make it more private. Those are all good. Those are all good uh, bullet points to get started on creating a DAP. Do you have any uh, websites that you recommend for uh, de- DAP development besides uh, the ones you said earlier? Um, I mean, just the GitHub repos of the Ethereum projects. ethhub.io seems like a pretty popular resource now. It's kind of a, a decentralized like set of resources. Um, yeah. Maybe just go. 
my, I, sorry, how do I put this? I think if you want to learn something, you just need to start. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like get anxious about like, oh, am I using the right resources? You should just start, learn a little bit and kind of as you, as you start to understand more and more, the context that you need will start to form in your mind and then you'll, you know, you'll slowly be able to find out which resources are better than others and, and like slowly, you know, ask uh, people, you know, to, to point you in the right direction. But just get started and start filling your mind with, with the information you need. I think most resources are at least mediocre. And I don't think they're going to like drag you down and lie to you. So I would just, I would just start Googling and just kind of go. Yeah, you're right. I, I mean, anything I've ever done for the first time, I've always just throw myself full in and then figure it out. Like today I was at work and <laughs> they sent over like a documentation on some pen test that was done on one of our servers. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> and it was literally like going line by line on all the vulnerabilities and then patching them, every single one of them. And, and some of the, yeah, dude, like some of the like ID codes for some of these don't even come up like on Google or anywhere. So it's literally like like breaking down syntax like word for word and trying to understand what they want you to fix, and it's it's one of those that's just tedious. But it's one of those where next time I <laughs> I do that a second time, I'm going to be a lot more faster because I'm going to be like I'm going to recognize oh this was this the last time this is how I fixed that. So yeah, I definitely recommend just just diving in. That's 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 what's the great the greatest part about computing is you just dive in, figure it out, and ask questions, especially if you don't know anything. Um, do you have any final Final, final words before we let you go, Jordan? Uh, no, I'd say check out PodCrypt. You can find it at podcrypt.app and just go uh, learn as much as you can about all this stuff. Oh, there's tons of podcasts out there, by the way. Like, that's a really good way to start learning as well. It's just, you know, search for Ethereum and just start start getting a high level understanding first, maybe, and, and then you can kind of deepen your knowledge from there so yeah there's we have everything we need to learn for free pretty much so the world is kind of no yeah no excuse the world is your oyster <laughs> as they say uh what are some of your favorite podcasts uh it doesn't have to be crypto it can be anything out that you listen to uh let's see yeah i love unchanged and unconfirmed by laura shin yeah laura shin's great uh, into the ether is pretty good for just kind of keeping up to date on ethereum and then yeah, I like listening the A16, to them too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A16Z is a really good podcast for just entrepreneurship and and you know venture capital and crypto and kind of everything from a kind of a business slash tech standpoint. And that's from the Andreessen Horowitz um, firm, and they're one of the most famous firms in the world. Yeah, so. they have a, they have some really good um, insights into what it, where everything's going for sure. Yeah, I like listening to that one too. You ever listen to any of the? Um, gosh, who was it the other other week? I was listening to it was like a Goldman Sachs, <laughs> a Goldman Sachs podcast, and I believe uh, Ice does their own Ice Exchange does their own like uh, podcast as well too. That's pretty good. They have a lot of interesting like macro and finance guys on there talking about Bitcoin. It's hilarious because they don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't listened to those, but I, I, lis- I, I listen to a lot, so 
I just have a bunch of random podcasts on my app. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jordan, for coming on the show and explaining how to build a DAP. I really appreciate it. And we'll put all the links in the show notes. With that, ladies and gentlemen, let's get on to the end of the show.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, another Thriller Crypto is done. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks again to Jordan for coming on the show and talking about how to build your own DAP. Make sure to check out all his links that he mentioned in the show notes and be sure to check out popcrypt.app. We will be releasing a Thriller Insights tomorrow and a Thriller Rundown on Sunday. If you guys want access to that, head over to thrillercrypto.substack.com. Links in the show notes and sign up. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. And remember, buy Bitcoin. Save the entire world. Have a great weekend. This is the end of the show. You have been listening to Killer Podcast with Car Gonzalez. Remember, Thriller Podcast is not financial advice. Everything Car said likely won't come true. It is up to you. Now go do your own research. Listen to other dudes that start their name with crypto and not car. Satoshi at a time.